Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This episode is sponsored by Hum Nutrition, a leading vitamin brand on the forefront of wellness. Hum is best known for Flatter Me, a digestive enzyme that debloats fast and went viral on TikTok. Rooted in science and backed by clinical research, HUM offers clean and targeted formulas that help you reach your wellness goals. From gut and skin health to vaginal and hormonal balance, HUM has specific solutions that work for you. HUM Nutrition's bestseller, Flatter Me, is the ultimate de-bloating hack. It's so easy for you. All you have to do is take one small capsule before a meal, and it helps you enjoy all of your favorite foods without the bloating aftermath. Flatter Me is clinically tested to de-bloat fast and works after only one use. Head to humnutrition.com, that is H-U-M nutrition.com, and get 40% off your first order with code GARAGE. Reach your wellness goals and head to humnutrition.com, that is H-U-M nutrition.com today as this offer expires soon. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man whose reality is realer than yours. Here is the captain. That's right. I've had cameras on me since birth. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are extremely excited to be featuring brew crime from our good friends down at Tactical Brewing Company in Orlando, Florida. This is a New England IPA brewed with four different kinds of hops. And you know, here in the garage, we love beer can art. And this beer can art is most certainly five out of five bottle caps. Shout out to Sleds for the awesome artwork. And brew crime beer is five out of five bottle caps and let's give some thanks and praise to our friends for helping us fill up this old garage fridge this week first up a shout out to liz from plymouth massachusetts and a big we like your jib goes out to Alyssa v and conroe texas and last but certainly not least we have a shout to mary mclean from fountain colorado everyone we mentioned they went to truecrimegarage.com clicked on the pint glass and helped us out with this week's beer run yeah, B-W-W-R-U-N, Beer Run. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, earballs, you can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, a subscription right on the main feed of our show, or head on over to Patreon. We are now officially on Patreon for all you Android users. So you want to check out that bonus content, check out our show off the record, that's enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime A hardworking, pious, honest, and kind woman battles pervasive harassment at her workplace. She deals with it 
handling a difficult situation in a sophisticated manner. Her intelligence and hard work pay off, and she rises up the ranks to a position of superiority at an outfit dominated by tough men. It is believed that these men, her tormentors, thought that they could bully her to the point that she would quit her job. But Susan Taraskowitz was tougher and smarter than they were. She kept documentation of the harassment, hoping that one day soon these bad elements that created so much bad blood could be removed, scrubbed clean, and washed away. But blood is thicker than water, even the bad kind. And then one night, in the middle of a graveyard shift, Susan disappeared. Was this the case of retaliation, revenge, or was it something else? Who would have wanted her gone? And how many of these bad elements were involved? Just what the hell happened here? And can this case still be solved? We will attempt to answer many of these questions this week on True Crime Garage. Susan Taraskowitz was born February 13th, 1965 in Everett, Massachusetts. She grew up in a blue-collar town, the blue-collar town of Saugus. Susan was the middle child of three kids born to parents Ronald and Marlene Taraskowitz. Ronald was a tractor-trailer dealer, and Marlene worked at the local grocery store. Susan had one sister, Deborah and one brother, Ronald Jr. The family home was known in the neighborhood because it was a pink ranch. Little pink houses there, Captain. Now, to neighbors and those who knew Susan's family, they all rave about how sweet, generous, and friendly Susan was, or as everyone called her, Sue. Sue was athletic and active. She enjoyed running, roller skating, and soccer. In 1983, she graduated from Saugus High School. While there, she had a reputation for being quiet, but also a reputation for being sweet, helpful, and nice, both to her teachers and classmates. Not only was Sue athletic, but she had an artsy side, and she was known for making crafts. She enjoyed sewing and creating holiday decorations. She was very active in the Catholic parish church that her family attended, even teaching Sunday school and serving as a Eucharist minister. She went to community college for a bit. She aspired to be a cartoonist, but that didn't really seem to pay the bills. So she sidelined her dream for a more regular job, more regular work. And she ended up taking a job at the same place that many other locals did back then. This is the Boston International Airport or Logan International Airport. And we all know how this goes. You get a new job. You're thinking that life is on the up and up. But her life, Sue's life, becomes more turmoil than happiness. That's exactly right. And that's what we will find when we go through the events leading up to the, the time in question, that her life was filled with turmoil. Now, we mentioned some of the problems she faced at work in today's trailer, and we will get into her work stuff very shortly. But in her personal life, it was also in major flux leading up to the time in question. She had just broken up with a long-term boyfriend who was an employee of an airplane fuel company, and she left the Catholic church in which she had been raised to join a fundamentalist Christian church. Susan was clearly seeking something at that time in her life. She typically worked the night shift and then went straight to Boston Church of Christ services in Danvers on Sunday morning after leaving the airport. She also attended a Thursday night Bible group. Her friends and family described 
what the Boston Globe referred to as a fervent commitment to the extremist church, whose fundamentalist teachings and demands were thought to be by some controversial. This church was even termed a cult by several people. Now, two of Susan's friends who spoke with the Boston Globe, this is Vicki Boone and an unnamed woman, both said that her recent breakup with her boyfriend, it was mutual, it was amicable, and there didn't seem to be any problems there. But she replaced that part of her life with a newfound passion for this fundamentalist church that she had joined. And she tried to recruit co-workers and family members and friends into its ranks. She often brought candy to work to sweetly bribe people to listen to her about her new church and her experiences there. She was so dedicated to this church that she missed out on sleep to help elderly church members when they were ill, driving members to church and to Bible study, and even babysitting members' children so that they could attend services. This to me, and I think you will agree with me, Captain, what I see here when we take a glimpse of Susan's life, I see a person that once she decides to commit to something, she's incredibly dedicated, incredibly dedicated to that. And we see that with her church. And I say, unfortunately, because I believe this is all tied up in this case, but I think we see this with her workplace as well. Well, like you're saying, Sue is very dedicated to her church and she's dedicated to this job that makes her inner circle a little larger than I think most people. In her early 20s, Susan got a job working for Northwest Airlines at Logan Airport. She started in May of 1987 working as a plane cleaner, someone that cleans the planes. At that time, this is a job largely held mostly by women. But she worked her way up to equipment service employee by December of that same year. By 1989, she was hired as a member of the ground crew. Now, at that time, Captain, this meant that Susan was only the second woman ever to work the ramp for Northwest Airlines, which at the time was the fourth largest airline in the U.S. of A. Sue was a tough young woman and told others that she enjoyed the physicality the work required, slinging bags on and off the planes using the light sticks to direct the jets in and out of their bays, driving the loaders and hauling equipment and supplies. She told her family that she was happy and that they had no reason to doubt her. In fact, her mother, Marlene, told the Wall Street Journal, quote, she truly loved working the ramp. The thing she liked most was de-icing the planes. She just felt it was very important, end quote. Susan's friend and co-worker Deb Mazikas said, quote, the ramp was always known to be a man's job. Sue wanted to show she could do it just as well as any man. Well, if I know most men, most men are dickheads, so they're probably going to give her a pretty hard time. That seems to be the case here, Captain, because much later in our timeline, unfortunately, it's going to take until later for her family to discover what was likely the truth here that sure Susan seemed to have loved her job in the beginning, but at some point her job became a source of stress and not just regular work stress stuff. This is elevated stress, which would include humiliation and an actual struggle sometimes day to day. Now in February of 1992, Susan was up for a promotion to ramp crew chief. Again, this is at Northwest Airlines. The airline awarded the position to a male coworker instead. This is despite union rules at the time about seniority. So the union rules captain would require that the job be awarded to someone like Sue, who was in a position of holding seniority over the person who was awarded the job. So Sue petitioned the airline for a redress and ends up winning. 
And so the ramp chief job became her job. She was the first woman to hold that title at that airline. This put her in a position of superiority over the rough around the edges, baggage handlers and ground crew that she worked among and had to supervise. Men passed over for the promotion were irate. And unfortunately, some of these men were rude enough, dumb enough, or both to let it be known that they felt that because she was a woman, that Susan did not deserve to get the job. Well, let's go through this slowly. She applies for a job that she should have got because she had seniority. She doesn't get that job, so one person, maybe multiple people, make this decision. She then says, this isn't right. So she then sues the company. So then those individuals that made the decision, if they didn't lose their jobs, I'm sure they were reprimanded. And then you have all the people... Well, you have the one individual that they gave the job to that they have to take away. Now he's butt hurt. And instead of being butt hurt at the guys that made the decision, he's going to be butt hurt at Sue. Well, and the the other thing we need to keep in mind too this is this is the union that is telling the airlines, hey, th- this is what what our union has decided is right and fair. The, what is right and what is most fair is that the person with the most seniority who applies for the job should have first crack at it. And that person is Susan. The individual that that got the job and then they had to take it from them, the individuals that gave him the job instead of Susan, it would only make sense that they're a part of the same union. Right. Right. It's so it's it's this is a weird situation like and you do see this like you have these groups that are supposed to be individuals banded together for one common good. But when things don't work out for them individually, all of a sudden they want to break the rules or they don't think that they were treated fair. No, you decided on those rules together. You decided on what was most fair together as a union. So you should stand up for your union brothers and sisters. But because we're talking about 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, that pe- people just didn't see things that way, especially when you're you're talking about a line of work that was predominantly held by men and had been for so many years. Yeah, and it's a little bit of human nature. You can't go after the collective so you can go after the individual. Her co-worker, Deb, who we've already referenced before, and then another co-worker, his name is Joseph Snow. Both of them told the media that Sue faced challenges from those that she supervised. Um, because you keep, it, keep in mind, the way that these things typically work in a workplace is people tend to choose sides. Right. When when there's something going on, when there when there's a dust up that's going on, people tend to choose sides. And some of the people that chose the other side and not Sue's side were people that she had to manage. She's the boss now of many people. And so these two people would later tell the media, Deb and Joseph Snow would tell the media that Sue faced challenges from the people that she supervised. She button heads against people that work for her. But that she continued to hold her head high and perform at a high level on the job. Yeah, I've actually seen this scenario go both ways. I, I was I was part of a bank that was closing branches, so we got moved to another branch. Immediately, the manager said, didn't ask for you guys to be here. I don't care about you guys keeping jobs here. I am going to try to manage you out. And she did. She micromanaged to the point where people couldn't take any more, so they quit. And then there was other employees that were like, you're not going to be a thorn in my side. I'm going to be a thorn in your side Mm -hmm. and made it completely difficult and became a very, very hostile work environment. And things like pay and having jobs affect everyone's livelihood and it affects people's families. And it makes sense that people get could even get to the level of, of hostile uh, 
regarding these situations, but it's also like, let's try to keep level heads here and, and make sense. And again, here in this situation, we're talking about a unionized job and a unionized situation where they're supposed to be voting on things collectively and deciding as a group. And it's like, if you're really going to be a part of the union, wouldn't you back up those decisions that were made by the union, even if it weren't in your best interest, or even if it weren't what was your idea, you got outvoted. Now, sadly, Captain, it was shortly after this promotion that Sue would go missing. This show was sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you do if you have an extra hour in your day? Do you go for a run? Do you take a nap? Read a book? Listen to an episode of your favorite podcast, True Crime Garage? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. We're proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Have you ever thought about why your wireless bill is so damn expensive? It's all just radio waves, and how much can a radio wave really cost? Seems like Big Wireless got together and decided, $100 a month? I think they'll buy it. What choice do they have? Now, thanks to Mint Mobile, you do have a choice. For a limited time, all phone plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. I made the switch I'm enjoying it. The secret is in the sauce over at Mint Mobile. 5G for free, no extra overhead, flexible plan options. Your unlocked device and current phone number are always welcome at Mint Mobile. I made the switch. I love it. You should do the same. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Do you want to set your child up for success? Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Maybe your kid has questions and you don't feel equipped to answer. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. With studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are constantly doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And there's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. A single hour of tutoring costs more than a month of IXL. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. I know for me growing up, there were courses that I struggled with. Some courses I loved and I excelled. Other courses couldn't keep my interest. 
and I needed to be dialed in. I have friends who are using IXL with their children, and they're seeing the results that they wanted. We're talking grade school, middle school. In both cases, they're getting the results that they are wanting, and their children are excelling in their courses. Make an impact on your child's learning and get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, cheers, mates, onward and upward, and cheers to you, Colonel. Good to have you back in the good old state of Ohio. Thank you, Captain. Cheers to you. Thanks to everybody for hanging out with me at CrimeCon, and hope to see you again next year. So now we're going to have to jump forward here, Captain, to September of 1992. So just a little quick math here. Susan now with the title of Ramp Chief, has now been an official employee of Northwest Airlines for five years and five months. So let's go to Saturday night. This is September 12th, 1992. Susan is the overnight shift supervisor working the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. third shift that night. Susan left Logan Airport or planned to leave Logan Airport. I want everybody to underline that and keep keep that in their mind. Make mental note of that statement. Susan left Logan Airport or planned to leave Logan Airport in the middle of her shift. So by now, technically, it is really Sunday morning, the 13th. Susan was going to go and grab lunch for the crew that night. So she had went around, collected sandwich orders from everybody on the crew. She now has a list of sandwich orders from her crew for a Revere sandwich shop that she was going to go and pick up the orders from. And she told the crew that she was driving to the deli to pick up the food and she was going to bring it back. This was a fairly big undertaking from my understanding here, Captain Anyone who has navigated Logan Airport knows that it's not easy to get in and out of there. It's a maze of off and on ramps with complicated freeway exchanges. So it's reported that Susan left or planned to leave around 1 a.m. As far as anyone knows, we can't find anybody who actually says that they saw that they witnessed her getting into her car that night. And this, I think, is is some key details of this timeline because she never came back to work that night. And was her car found at her work? No, her car is later found, but not at work. And, and here's something that I find, and I believe everybody else out there will find rather curious. So according to every report out there, Not a single person at Northwest Airlines reported the fact that Susan had reportedly said she'd be right back. 
think about this. She takes lunch orders from everyone, sandwich orders from everyone, says, I'm going to go out pick up, to pick up lunch for everyone. I'll be right back. Nobody at her work reports her missing. She's not officially reported missing until about a day and a half later. How does nobody notice that she didn't return to work, one, but then on top of that, didn't bring back my lunch, my my sandwich that I ordered. Like it, it would be pretty obvious to everybody there that she didn't return. Yeah, big deal. And Sitting the, around waiting for my lunch. Where's Susan at? And keep in mind, we talked about the the hours of her shift. Right. Her shift reportedly is 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. that night. The reports are that she left at approximately or planned to leave at approximately 1 a.m. That's relatively early in the shift for her for it to go unnoticed that she never returned. So one, nobody. I'm not saying that it went totally unnoticed. What I'm pointing out is that it went totally unreported. So nobody reports that she didn't return one, which she should have been back maybe 30 minutes at the most, 40 minutes at the most, let's say. There's still five hours plus of that shift left. So you mean to tell me that a whole crew of people who were waiting on their lunches and who would be working and supervised by this individual for five hours, five and a half hours, right. additional hours, never no- noticed to the point of telling anybody that she was missing or didn't return? Very bizarre stuff there. Well, and we don't know what their work schedules were like and how often they they saw her you know i've worked in warehouses before where it's you might see the boss a couple hours in the morning but maybe once it hits lunchtime you you don't see the boss around lunchtime but but here it's it's significantly different because you have again a set of a set of people that are waiting for their lunches they're waiting for her return you think that one of those individuals would have said, this is a little strange that she hasn't made it back yet. Uh, we should we should let security know this. We should let somebody know this. I'll give you a very similar scenario that I'm sure almost everybody's experienced because not everybody's boss brings them lunch. I don't know the setup. Did they hand in money? Was she willing to buy? Was this a regular thing or irregular thing? I don't know that setup. I'm not going to pretend to know. But... I do know this setup and understand this setup, which I think most people will. How many times at a job has somebody said, hey, man, I want to take a lunch, Uh, uh, boss lady, boss person, I'm going to take a break. I'd like to take a break or I need to make a phone call. And the boss tells you, no problem. You can go to lunch as soon as I get back from this or as soon as I get back from my break. We've all been there. And what happens after like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes go by, you start checking your watch. You start checking the clock because you, you, Hey, I'm expecting that break. And then you would think after five hours, people are starting to ha- would have some concern to tell somebody. Now let's flip it to, to somebody else who obviously would have concern. Susan's parents. Now, they were, of course, worried when their daughter never came home from her shift, but let's go back to what we know was going on in her life at that time and and cross-reference all of the material that we have, all of the information that we have. So her parents, they're thinking, look, we know how busy our daughter is with her work. We know how dedicated and how much time she's devoting to her church. And so they made some assumptions. Maybe she went to the church to help out after her shift, and that's why she didn't come home. Or maybe she picked up an overtime shift, which wasn't uncommon. But then her parents catch wind that Sue had not been at work on Monday the 14th. So Marlene, her mother, reports her missing, reports her daughter missing at that point. So that's why you have that roughly day and a half timeline between the time it's believed that Susan was last seen by her coworkers in the middle of her shift to when she's officially reported missing, but she's reported missing by her family, mind you. Now, meanwhile, that same day, that Monday morning at 7.30 a.m., 
There's a worker, an employee at Bravo Tire in auto service. This individual, he pulls into work at the mechanic shop. This business is located at Lee Burbank Highway, Route 1 in Revere. As he parks his vehicle, note that that's the same town that she's going to go pick up the sandwiches from the deli. Right. As he parks his car, he's showing up for work that day. He notices that there's a vehicle in the shop's driveway that was not on the appointment list that morning, right? So he sees this car, he goes in, he checks the appointment list. Wait a second, this car's not on our appointment list. Now, mechanic shop, we know how this all works. There's emergencies, there's breakdowns that happen. It's probably not uncommon that someone would drop their car or have a vehicle towed to a mechanic's lot and then phone it in the next day. Hey, need some help? Thing broke down on the side of the highway. But he checks his appointment list. It's not on their schedule. So he goes out to further investigate. And what he notices, we should point out this vehicle, it's a Toyota Torcel, uh, and it's blue in color. But he quickly notices blood smeared on the trunk of the vehicle. And in fact, the way that this is reported, Captain, is that there's so much blood on the trunk of this vehicle that at some point it had not just smeared across the trunk, but the blood had dripped onto the ground near the back of the vehicle. So, of course, the mechanic calls the Revere police. Now, police arrive on the scene, and they have the unfortunate duty of opening up the car in the trunk. And unfortunately, inside, they find Susan's body. They find Susan Taraskowitz's body in the trunk of the vehicle. She's only 27 years old at this time, and she's dead. Like you mentioned before, we have no eyewitness seeing her get into her vehicle to take that lunch break. Now, you say she was found in her trunk. What else do we know about that scene? Well, and this is really tragic, too. It's one of those extra sad parts of the story that we come across regularly. Think of how this is all playing out. She's she's technically been found shortly before her, her mother, her parents are going to report her as missing. But, you know, police have to have to process the scene. They have to do a little bit of work. They right. hadn't got around to telling the mother yet. What we do learn, though, Captain, is that the victim, Susan, she's found fully dressed. Later, it was determined that she had not been sexually assaulted, but she had been violently beaten and stabbed. Her cause of death was multiple stab wounds to the back and blunt force trauma to the head and neck. And I have some suspicions about that, and I think that that there's some other aspects of this case that play into some of those injuries. And we'll get into that in a bit, but we probably don't need to tell you that this was very quickly ruled a homicide. The money for the sandwiches was found in the vehicle. She never made it to the deli that night to pick anything up. There were some missing items. The only reported known to the public missing items. And this is what Sue's family alerted police after they identified the body and after they identified her, her clothing and belongings and such. The family told police that Susan always wore a 16 inch gold chain that had two charms on it. One was a Christ head medallion and the other was a crucifix. This item, these items were missing from her body when she was found dead in the trunk of the car, and none of these items have ever been found. They've never been located. Police checked the surveillance camera footage from the Coastal Oil New England facility. This is a business across the street from the parking lot where her vehicle and body were found. So across the street from the Bravo Auto Shop, Whether they saw Susan's car arrive at Bravo, and if so, who was driving it is unknown. We know they've checked the footage. We don't know exactly what they've seen, but what we do know is 
police have stated that they believe that Susan was actually killed elsewhere and her car just ditched at the Bravo shop. The Bravo car repair place was noted to be very near the Esquire Club, which is a bar known to be frequented by employees of Northwest Airlines. Yeah, when you start breaking down this timeline and you hear that she collected money to go get sandwiches, my first thought... Well, I don't know if she collected... Remember I had said, I don't know. That's one thing that I'm interested in finding out. I don't know if she collected money or if she was buying them or if the company was paying. Right. That part, I don't know. But the money, the money that is believed to be for the purchase of the lunches was found in the vehicle. We do know that. So still found in the vehicle. But if coworkers are saying whether they, she collected money or whether they're saying that she was going to buy the sandwiches, that part of the story seems to check out. Then she leaves, but nobody sees her get into her vehicle. So we don't know if there was a confrontation at that parking lot or where that where the conflict first started taking place. Exactly. And what we do, the only thing we really do know is police saying that we believe she was killed elsewhere and the vehicle was just ditched there. Which I think is really interesting when you check that against the idea that we know that they checked the surveillance camera footage across the street, but we don't know what they they were able to view on that, if anything. We don't know if if they could see the car pulling into the lot across the street, Susan's car. Or do they have any idea if one person got out or two people got out? Right. Because... You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to piece together that if police are telling you, we believe she was killed elsewhere, then she wasn't the one driving the vehicle when it was dropped off at that parking lot. Yeah. And were they able to see somebody leave the vehicle? Was there another vehicle that came and picked up an individual after the car was dropped off? This could be some stuff that law enforcement knows. They're just not releasing it to the public. And the interesting thing, too, is if there were other people involved, right, people that work together, we, we have nobody saying that they saw her get into her Toyota Tercel to drive off. If she's attacked and killed prior to leaving, you know, airport security is pretty good. So I put the, the percentage rate that she was attacked at the airport a little lower on the scale. I don't know what the surveillance was like or security was like at the time or in the employee lot, if there was one, but I think that it's important to note that it is close to that Esquire club, a bar known to be frequented by Northwest employees. And there's at least one source that says that Susan had gone there on more than one occasion. And the only reason why I'm I'm going out of my way to point that out again is if you were planning to do something or somebody did do something in the moment and then needed some help, you don't necessarily need to have both individuals having been at work with her that night on that shift. If you could walk over to that club and catch a ride with somebody that you work with who happens to be off that night. To me, if if cops are saying that she was killed elsewhere and that vehicle was just ditched there, then you have two choices. Either that was a random choice to ditch the car there that night or it was premeditated. That that location was predetermined to ditch the vehicle. And like you said, there's conflict at work. There's people that she's arguing with. I'm guessing some higher ups and maybe some people that work under her some lower downs yeah the the those lower downs well we're going to get into some some of those low downs here in a little bit here cap well see what i wanted to know is the day of the day in question yeah is there anybody that says hey an hour into work fireworks were were going off and and it was uh oh that there was some conflict that's taking place that people were witness of Right. And look, I don't think that there was one, and I don't have a lot to base that off of, but let's go back to one thing we do know. One thing we do know is nobody at her work reports her as missing. And they have to work an additional five hours with her once she were to return with those sandwiches. 
at minimum five more hours. So I think it would be if there was some kind of conflict, the pushing, a shoving, people shouting at one another, if if that was something that took place, that, that one happened at all, but two happened out in the open, it would seem to me that somebody then would really pick up on the fact that, hey, Sue went out to pick up those sandwiches three hours ago, and I've not seen her since. Where's my tuna fish? You know what I mean? It's It, it seems so bizarre to me that nobody at work reports her missing. And let's let's take this one step further. We've yeah. already said that there's conflict at work with people that don't seem to like her and people choosing sides, right? And imagine if you're one of those people that don't like her. Doesn't that give you even more reason to report that she's not at work? Like, oh, I've been trying to tell you she sucks, that she shouldn't have that job. Here it is 5 a.m. and... What, she went out for lunch four hours ago? That's the kind of thing that people babysit and, and report when they don't like people that they work with or work for. Now, well, and I just want to go on record to say that if my tuna fish sandwich didn't show up, I'm shutting down the whole facility. I will not be working. I will not be working. I will not help you work. I will be shutting the place down until we know what happened to my sandwich. I don't want to get too far sidetracked, but one of my favorite shows, I think you should leave says that there should be a rule against working through lunch should not be allowed. Now back to more serious stuff though here, captain. And I want to touch on a couple things before we get into some of Susan's workplace. Yeah, disagreements, situation, harassment. It, you could call it all kinds of different things. Within days of Susan's murder, Suffolk District Attorney Ralph Martin said to the papers they had, quote, no particular suspect, end quote. Now, this might have been true at that point in time. This is just days after. But I'm telling you, that is going to change as time went on and as this investigation went on. Now, Let's talk about one of our favorite shows from pastime, Unsolved Mysteries. 35 years ago, yes, this show started. Of the more than 1,300 mysteries profiled in over 230 episodes, half of the cases featuring wanted fugitives have been solved. More than 100 family members have been reunited with lost loved ones. And seven individuals who were wrongly convicted of crimes have been exonerated and released. That's according to Unsolved Mysteries website. Cases involving missing persons, missing heirs, murder, fraud, and amnesia have also been solved following Unsolved Mysteries broadcast. And according to their website, that adds up to over 260 solved cases. So good job by you, Unsolved Mysteries. This case was featured on that great show, season eight, episode 10, which also featured a segment about a wanted fugitive, Albert Leon Fletcher, a Florida fugitive who was apprehended in Delaware after the broadcast. So that's furthermore proof of that great show. Shout out to Terry Dunmuir and John Cosgrove, the creators of that great show. According to Unsolved Mysteries, it is not known if her former boyfriend was ever considered a suspect by police. We had a couple of listeners about a year ago, shout out to the beautiful listeners recommend this case. And when I looked it up, fired up the old search engine. One thing I noticed it was on all unsolved mysteries, went back and watched that episode. And one thing that I, I don't want to gloss over is the fact that there was a breakup with this former boyfriend. From my understanding, though, Captain, this was months in advance of her going missing from work and then found murdered in the trunk of her car. According to that show, it's not known if her former boyfriend was ever considered to be a suspect at any point in the investigation by police. But what we do learn is that Sue's family backed him up 100%. In fact, saying that there is no way that he killed her. In fact, photos of him 
and photos that he had taken were visible in collages that were displayed at her funeral. And he had been, he was a big part of her life. So the family doesn't have any suspicions about this guy, but it was unclear to me if police ever did. But the way that this investigation goes and the route that it starts to take about a year after she's killed, I think we're going to figure out that police, if they, they likely looked at the boyfriend, how could you not the ex-boyfriend, but they had cause and they had reason to move on from him. Yeah. I think any of these cases that there's not answers right away, you look into individuals like we, we, like we always say, look into the, the inner circle first and then move to the outer circle. And when you got nothing, repeat, rinse and repeat. At Susan's funeral, a Snoopy stuffed animal was next to Susan's casket. Snoopy was her favorite character. She had a collection of what's reported to be over 2,000 Snoopies. Wow. And a lot of people say that the character kind of sort of summed up her personality, too. This according to her friend Vicky and what she told the Boston Globe. Her friends and family said that Susan was a kind and loving person. Now, when she died, Susan was looking forward to being made of honor at her sister's wedding. And unfortunately she never got the chance. Well, while we're on this subject, which one was your favorite peanut character? Whoever played the piano. I don't really know the peanuts characters very well. Old Schroeder on the piano. I, I, I was a big fan of Linus Van Pelt. A lot of good characters on the Peanuts. Speaking of characters here, Captain, we talked briefly about suspects. And one thing that is very interesting to me here is we, we have the money that's found in her vehicle. So that would point to the idea that this was not robbery related. There was no sexual assault on the victim. She's brutally attacked and killed and then left in the trunk of her car. Police saying that they believe she was killed elsewhere. I have to believe that they did not have a lot or were not able to pull a lot from the surveillance footage across the street. That's never been confirmed, but we don't know what they know. But what we do know is that her mother and her family for a good period of time, believed that Susan was killed by a random individual, that it was a a random stranger-on-stranger attack, which may make sense when you have somebody that appears to have no enemies, but also the vehicles found in this kind of random location, that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, we got to keep in mind, though, that her, her family... And police are unaware of the problems at work early in this investigation. Well, and one of the reasons why that would make sense is because what we see in a lot of these cases and what people have studied for years is are these patterns. And so if you have a, a victim where somebody tries to conceal that victim, tries to hide that victim from being found, that normally you would lean towards somebody that actually knew the victim. In this case, it's it's almost the pol- it's almost the polar opposite because they parked the vehicle in a public place, so the vehicle is going to be found. Obviously, somebody's going to report her missing. Now we're going to be looking for a vehicle because her vehicle is also missing from work. We're going to find that vehicle, and when we search that vehicle, we're going to find our victim. So it almost makes you lean towards the idea that is somebody that she didn't even know. Well, and I bring up from time to time the killers getting lucky. And I don't know that this was planned. I talked about the location of where her vehicle was found. It was found at that the business's parking lot, the, the auto repair shop's parking lot in Revere. Did they know? Did they purposely put that vehicle there because... They look, it's going to be found when you put the vehicle there in that location, it's most definitely going to be discovered. There's no way not to discover, but it's almost likely to be found rather quickly and reported rather quickly. So did they put it there knowing that the business didn't operate until Monday morning 
Keep in mind, she goes missing. The last reported sighting of her is at approximately 1 a.m. on a Sunday. Did they put it there knowing that that would buy them some time that the business wouldn't open up again until Monday morning? Or is this just another situation where the killer gets lucky? Because I think that 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 short period of time that expires between the time that she is last seen, she's never reported missing. In fact, she's not from the timeline and all the sources that we have. It technically says that she's reported missing after her body is found. So that gives us at about what? 7 AM, 7 30 AM on that Monday, back that all the way up to 1 AM Sunday morning, right? Over 24 hours. So over about 30 to to 31 hours expires between the time that she's last seen and then her vehicle and body are found. One thing when we talk about suspects too, we talked about how the family says that for the early part of the investigation, they believed that it was possibly a random individual that had killed their daughter and it was a stranger on stranger attack. I don't know if they just came up with that on their own or if that's what detectives told them that they they believed, but you're exactly right. The thing that would back that up is the manner and how the vehicle is found and how the killer or killers chose to conceal the body in a, in a place where it most definitely would be found and relatively quickly. But then on top of that, you the reverse of that is, well, the stranger on stranger attack, there should be a motive. And the obvious motives you can say are not a factor here. It wasn't robbery. It wasn't sexually motivated. There was no sexual assault. So that makes it seem much less likely. Now we talked about suspects early on or the lack thereof early on in this investigation, but what we learn from the unsolved mysteries episode is that about a year, So let's get into this real quick. Susan and other female employees at Northwest Airlines were subject to brutal and relentless harassment from some of the male Northwest workers. Sue started a secret journal in February of 1989, this to record the behaviors she was subjected to Now, for some reason, she only kept documentation of this for about eight months or so. But what she did record was shocking. About a year after her death, this is when her mother, Marlene, finally could bring herself to go through Susan's things. Right. She she was emotionally, physically unable to do this for about a year. And then she decides to go through her daughter's things. This is when she finds the journal that her daughter was journaling about this harassment that she was going through at work. And she's horrified by the entries that the journal contained. To me, when I hear about this journal, to me, it's more about the fact that she works. She likes her job. She's probably making good money. And when there's conflict, You need to keep detailed notes when it happened, who it happened by, because you work in a situation where you do have a union. And if you don't have detailed reports, they're just not as likely to believe you. According to the UPI, the diary, quote, detailed almost daily incidents of harassment and her efforts to report them to the company, end quote. Now, Susan's family was so disturbed by the shocking revelations of what Susan endured on a daily basis, according to the diary, that the Taraskowitz believed that their daughter's death, Susan's death, was 100% connected to her work. Thank you so much for joining us here in the garage. Remember, if you need more True Crime Garage or want to check out Off the Record, last week we did a 
questionnaire, the Colbert questionnaire. Nick took the challenge, get to know Nick better. That's on Off the Record through Patreon or through Apple Podcast app. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.